Holy Spirit, we ask that you enable us today to see you, to see our Savior for who he is. Open our eyes, God, to what is ultimately real. Fill our hearts, Lord. Move them with a desire to worship you in response to who you are. Our victorious king, reigning, sitting on the throne. You deserve a thousand hallelujahs and more, God. And today as we come to your word, Holy Spirit, illuminate your truth in our hearts. Help us understand your word, even for those of us tuning in at home with our families. Lord, we ask that in the midst of the distraction that you would still speak to us. Give us ears to listen to your voice, God. Lord, we know that your word is active, it is alive, it is sharper than a two-edged sword, God. And so we know that the power of your word can transform lives as it has been doing for centuries, Lord. And so today we ask that your word will continue to transform our lives. God, we don't want to be here just for the sake of it, Lord, but meet us, God, here. Let your power transform us on the inside out. Help us to know you more. Lord, perhaps we have been ignorant to your word, to what you have been doing in our lives, to what you have been saying to us, God. But Lord, we know you are God who pursues us, graciously pursues us with your love, your kindness, your truth. And so my prayer today, Father, is that you would pursue those who have been rejecting your word. You would keep pursuing those, that they would hear the knock on their hearts, God. Those who have been pushing you away. Those who have been hiding from you. Let your truth set them free from whatever it is they have been experiencing, God. The struggles, the shame, the condemnation, the bondage. Set them free by your word today, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. As a church, we say, amen. Amen. You may be seated at home. You may make yourselves comfortable if you haven't done so already. Good morning, everyone. I am rather overwhelmed and grateful to see so many of you back here on site at church. (laughs) I know the past couple of weeks, even the past month, has been a challenging time for many of us, but to hear testimonies of God's faithfulness, God's healing at work in your lives, 
to, to hear testimonies of God's comfort in times of fear, in times of sickness, has been so encouraging to us as a church. And we are so glad you are back. <laughs> so can I just say, as I look around to many of you who we have not seen in some time because of isolation and whatnot, it's so good to have you back. We are in, still in chapter 50, 13 of our study of the book of John, but uh, you would be perhaps glad to know that we are now at the conclusion of chapter 13. For the past couple of weeks, we have truly been unpacking this one chapter. From the beginning, a couple of weeks ago, we learned that Jesus uh, served his disciples. He showed them what self-giving love was truly about. And in doing so, he embodied the love of God by washing their feet in humble service to them. And so this chapter begins at that moment of Jesus washing his beloved disciples' feet. And then we learned in the next weeks that Judas, was then going, it was revealed that Judas was the one who would betray him. And uh, at the same time, once Judas leaves, it was then in that moment that Jesus decides, uh, that Jesus prepares his disciples for his departure. Jesus know, knew his time had come for him to leave, and he was then going to prepare his disciples. And that's something we will keep going through uh, in the next chapters. But just to set the scene, we're going to read again from John chapter 13, verses 31 to 38. So we covered a couple of these verses two weeks ago, but we're just going to read it to set the scene. And we're going to talk about the final verses today. Verse 31 says, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you. That you are to love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter then says to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So we're going to look at these last couple of verses, particularly Peter. Uh, the interaction between Peter and Jesus and their relationship. 
today. Now, so we have understood that in this chapter, after the foot washing and after Judas leaves, Jesus tells the disciples with a sense of excitement, with a sense like the the reason why he's come is finally going to be revealed, okay? So there is this sense of excitement that Jesus has when he tells his disciples that he is going to be glorified at last and that they must now love one another as he has loved them. When commenting on these verses, Professor Tom Wright notes that it's as if Jesus is now drawing the 11 closer to himself, telling telling them all these new things that he couldn't say when Judas was around. And from now until chapter 16, Jesus is explaining to them the fact that he is going away and they cannot follow him just yet. And he is showing what their future life is going to look like. He's showing them the mission that he has called them to. And he's also telling them the joys and their sorrows that they will experience. So there is this sense of climax as Jesus is telling his disciples that God's glory is going to be unveiled in the coming events um, through his work, through the work of God's son, Jesus. Evil is about to be defeated once and for all. And the kingdom of God is about to be launched on earth as it is in heaven. So as much as this is a departure sort of speech to his disciples, there is also a sense of excitement because of what is to come. Jesus is finally going to finish. He's going to accomplish what has he has been sent to do. The word who became flesh had modeled a new way of being human. He had shown his disciples what it looks like to live as God's image bearer without sin. And now he was telling them to copy him. That he he was commanding them to love one another as he had loved them. As people who have been saved by the cross... We are to live in such a way that is also shaped by the cross. So that the same love that rescued us is revealed through our lives. The story of Jesus is not simply to be told, it's to be lived out. And obedience to the Great Commission does not just involve telling others about Jesus, but it involves living a holy life, a life that has been set apart for Christ to reflect himself in us, a life that points to the glory of God, a life that is not about us anymore, but about the living God who reigns over all creation. Another quote by Professor N.T. Wright. I love this quote because he says, Holiness and mission are two sides of the same coin. 
there are two sides. We cannot simply talk about Jesus. Our lives must be a witness to His power, to His love, to His life. Now at this point, amidst all the excitement, Peter still didn't get it. He says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus was trying to tell him, where I'm going, you cannot follow. Because Jesus was planning to go back to his father. And Jesus said to him, Lord, well, why can't I follow you? I'm, I'm willing to lay down my life for you wherever you go. He realized that Jesus was going to a place of danger. And he simply blurts out, as Peter does, that he's willing to die for Jesus. But the truth is, Peter has no idea what he's just said. He has no idea. His master is about to be crucified. He had been called to follow a crucified Savior. But Peter just hadn't taken it in yet. Or perhaps he refused to. He also had no idea about how vulnerable to temptation he really was. Because in an hour or two, just as Jesus had predicted, after declaring that he would follow Jesus and lay down his life for him, Peter does quite the opposite. And knowing that Peter would do that, knowing that Peter will deny him, Jesus gently and lovingly replies, will you, will you be the one who lays down your life for me? Will you do that? You see, maybe like many of us, Peter thought that Jesus could depend on his loyalty. You know, there are friends that you might have that you just notice are just good friends. They're just loyal people to have in your life. Sometimes you may notice people are just really loyal to the group of friends that they have been with since they were young, since they were in high school or, or uni or what, whenever it was that they formed their friendship. Some people just tend to be loyal friends. And sometimes we think that walking with Jesus depends on our loyalty, just like having good friends in our lives. When in actual fact, it was Peter who was the dependent one, not Jesus. It was Peter who needed to depend on Jesus's faithfulness and love. And it was Jesus who needed to lay down his life for Peter, not the other way around. I'm sure as I say this, many of you may be agreeing with me. You may be going through a challenging time right now. And maybe you feel like your faith is being tested. Maybe you felt the last couple of years like it's just been a whole big test of faith in your life and faced with a lot of uncertainty maybe you've just been wrestling back and forth with fear 
But learn from this situation. Do not lean on your own understanding as Peter did in this instant. Do not overestimate how capable or how strong you can be as Peter did. But instead, the Apostle Paul encourages us to look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. In Hebrews 12, verse 2, he says that, he says, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And in another translation, it says, fixing your eyes on Jesus. You see, what this means is faith is a response to the faithfulness of God. Real faith in your life is a response to God's faithfulness. It is confidence that God is who he reveals himself to be and that he will do everything that he promised. So no matter what circumstance we may be facing, as unstable as it may be, we can walk by faith because we have a victorious shepherd who is faithful and loves us to the point of laying his life down for us. These experiences can mature our faith. These trials, these challenges, it can mature your faith when you continue to experience God's faithfulness in it. If you're not experiencing God's faithfulness, if you're not in desperation, crying out, and you're still trying to find out how much conjure up, how much strength you have, how much intellect you have, how many connections you have, you're only going to see the end of yourself. I'm sorry to say this, but you're sure to fail. Peter learned this, and we can learn this from his life. We mature in our faith when we face trials and experience God's faithfulness in it. You know, we also discover something about ourselves when we face trials. I don't know about you, but I feel like the last couple of years have been a lot of self-learning or learning about myself. And I have to say, not a lot of it is good. Jesus tells Peter that what he is about to do is deny him. And Jesus is, of course, referring to the fact that once Jesus is arrested and taken to the high priest's home, Peter is afraid to follow after him. He waits outside the door, outside of the gate of the high priest's home. And the people who recognize Peter and say, aren't you Jesus' disciple? He says, no, I'm not. And he does this three times. And we will read about that in John chapter 18. But you see, that night, Peter was to discover how weak he really was. And how much he had been depending on Jesus for strength and courage. He was not as strong as he believed. When he blurted out, 
Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. I'm sure he believed it in that moment because the moment, the circumstance was pretty safe. Jesus was with them. They were having dinner together. But in the moment of trial, he suddenly realizes he's not as strong as he thought he was. He's not as loyal as he thought he was. And he is not above even failing the one he loved. You see, we, I, I tend to love Peter. I tend to laugh at him, but really relate with him most <laughs> as I read through the Gospels. And I think we all tend to love Peter out of all the 12 because he's most like us. I personally would say that I've shared in Peter's immaturities, in his failure, uh, in courage. I was reminded as I was preparing this sermon, about seven years ago when I first started ministry, I was so on fire for Jesus. I had seen my parents go through ministry and it was hard and it was never something I had dreamed of growing up. I'd never dreamed of doing this. But I knew at one point it was something God had called me to do. And when he called me, he also gave me a certain sense of excitement and fire that came with that. And I was looking at all these missionaries and watching their lives and being so inspired. And as a newly married person, I was saying, Jesus, I'll go for you. I'll go to Afghanistan for you, even if... It, it requires of me. I sold a designer bag for Jesus. I was, I was, I'll do this for you. But let me tell you, two kids later, two young kids later, and sometimes COVID has me nervous, seriously, let alone some, some really, really tough mission fields that people out there. I seriously, in that moment, had overestimated how much I was willing to go. But you see, Jesus knew that. Just as Jesus knew what Peter was about to do. And gently, gently, he says, will you be the one to do it for me? Gently. Often, we experience suffering as a Christian. And we experience pain, loss, even the loss of dreams. And we are confronted by the reality of what it's truly like sometimes to die to ourselves, to deny our flesh. You see, the Apostle Paul says this in Philippians 3 verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. The Christian life, as we become like Jesus, we share in his sufferings so that his life could be resurrected in us. There's a lot of deaths in here that we experience. And that could be painful. And perhaps going into this Christian walk, we thought we had it in us. We thought we could imitate the Savior. Only to find out how weak we are. And even how sinful 
we are in the journey. I come back to this quote time and time again by Timothy Keller. The gospel is this, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believed. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. If you are finding that the more you walk with God, just as I am, the more sinful you are seeing yourself as, then that's our experience also of His grace, the depth of God's grace in our lives. This Christian life, you will continue to discover how high, how wide, how deep God's love is for you. And at the same time, how sinful, how wretched we truly are. But you see, even though Peter's failure was humiliating and horrible, Jesus did not let Peter's failure define him. And he is not going to let your failures define you if you are in Christ. On the cross, Jesus paid for Peter's sin and denial so that Peter would not have to live with the guilt of his past mistakes. He didn't have to have it hovering over him every time he was with Jesus. Peter's denial did not make Jesus reconsider going to the cross. Your sin and my sin does not make Jesus reconsider what he did for us on the cross. It's what drove him to the cross in the first place. It is your sin and my sin. And perhaps God sees our sin in more clarity, in more reality than we can see it right now. And yet, he went to the cross anyway. It is for you and I. It is, if we look back at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, the second part of that verse says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What is that joy? What is the joy that set before Jesus that caused him to endure the cross? A book I've been reading with our leaders called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. I highly recommend this book. He puts in here an illustration, and I'm going to read this out for you. He says, a compassionate doctor has traveled deep into the jungle to provide medical care to a primitive tribe afflicted with a contagious disease. He has had his medical equipment flown in. He has correctly diagnosed the problem and the antibiotics are ready for him to use. He is independently wealthy. He has no need of financial compensation and donations. But as he seeks to care for these tribal members, as he seeks to do his work, they refuse it. The sick who need treatment think they can heal in their own way. And they refuse this doctor's uh, care. Finally, a few brace, uh, brave young men step forward 
to receive this care from the doctor. What do you think this doctor would be feeling when that happens? Joy. His joy increases to the degree that the sick come to him for help and healing because it was the very reason he came to that island. And it is so us with Christ. Jesus laid down his life in order to provide a limitless supply of grace and mercy. And so what was the joy that was set before him? Seeing his people forgiven. Seeing his people redeemed. Seeing his people restored. Seeing his people healed in his name. That is the joy that was set before Jesus. And in that moment, Jesus was not about to give up on Peter, just like he is not going to give up on you. Instead, he went to the cross so that Peter could live in the freedom of being forgiven and experience the joy of God's redemption plan at work in his life. You see, Jesus knew that Peter was going to fail him just like he knows that at some point you and I, we, we may stumble, we may fail him, but his grace is greater than our failures. His grace is greater. We see in, as I invite our team, worship team to come back, we see in John, John 21, I'm skipping now forward, to the time that Jesus, after Jesus resurrected and now commissions his disciple for, his missional, for their missional work. Now this was the time that Jesus may, uh, met Peter and addressed this issue face to face. And what does Jesus do? In John 21 verses 15 to 17, when they had finished breakfast, <clears throat> Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, well, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, and Jesus says, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, feed my sheep. Jesus asks Peter three times. And it wasn't that he doubted Peter, like, are you sure you love me? Are you going to do that again? Are you sure? Maybe we have that cynicism sometimes when we, our relationship with someone is being restored, but not Jesus. He wasn't doing it because he doubted Peter's love. Instead, he was allowing Peter to affirm his love for Jesus and each denial that he had made that night. You see, Jesus was restoring their relationship completely. Jesus was redeeming those mistakes that Peter made. Every single mistake Jesus was redeeming. And as we observe Peter's life in the next chapters of the Bible, we see 
that how Jesus transformed and used a failure to build His church. In Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, we see Peter, the same Peter, who denied Jesus to a servant girl, we see this Peter filled with the Spirit of God and boldly preaching the gospel. And the Bible says that on that day, 3,000 souls were saved. On that day alone, that first day, Peter stepped out into the calling of God. Eventually, we also know from the life of Peter that he does lay down his life for Jesus. But you see, it was Jesus who laid down his life for Peter first. And Peter's faithfulness was dependent on Jesus' faithfulness to him. If you are in Christ, your past failures do not define you. God's redemption plan is at work even in the challenges you face today. You know, there could be challenges that you are facing today and you're thinking, maybe this is a result of what I did so and so ago. It's not. In Christ, you have been forgiven. You are a new creation. God's redemption is at work. God is for you. When Jesus chose us to be His disciples, He knew the future failures that we would make, just as He knew Peter's. We may be surprised by how sinful we can be sometimes, but Jesus is not surprised. And there are times where we might be tempted to say, that's not the real me. What happened in that moment? That's not me. And perhaps we can make excuses for our behavior, for the bad choices we've made in certain moments. But you see, facing and admitting our failures is one way Jesus shows us the beauty of the gospel. It is not that He wants us to focus on our failures and flaunt them, but Jesus wants our failures, every single one, to lead us back to the cross again so that we would see how great of a Savior He truly is. God's amazing grace is not just for your justification. It is also for your sanctification and I would argue that the more you walk with Christ, the greater you will see His grace as you are being sanctified. Really, God? You died for me? Really? Knowing that I was going to do that, you still died for me. Don't let the guilt of your past failures and sin, don't let them haunt you. Don't let that inhibit an excitement that you might have for a future that God has prepared for you. 
breakthrough could be coming. But you might be just thinking about the past, thinking this is what I deserve. You're living not according to what you're deserving. You live according to God's grace. And so even in the most challenging of times, breakthrough could be on its way. And I'm believing it is on its way for you. Satan would love to remind you of what you really deserve, of the condemnation and the shame. But you've got a new heart. You've got a new spirit living inside of you. Yes, there are remnants of your flesh remaining, but you've got God's spirit inside of you. And God does not see you as a failure. He sees you as forgiven. So live boldly, brothers and sisters, in Christ. Live unashamedly for the gospel that has forgiven us and set us free. Don't be set on trying to set up your future, proving, striving, trying to create something that you dreamed of with your own strength. Where is that going to lead you? You don't know what tomorrow may bring. But instead, follow the Savior. God's forgiveness has set you free. You can live the life He intended you to live. Trust Him. Stand. Please stand together. As I look around and I look, imagine a mirror, and I look to myself, I see we're just a fellowship as a church of forgiven, weak failures who have received the forgiveness of Christ and who have been set free to live a life we did not deserve, to live a life greater than what we could ever carve out for ourselves. And I love this. In 1 Peter 4, 8, Peter, Peter now says, to the church. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. This is the same Peter. You see, he had truly experienced, even though he wasn't listening to what Jesus was saying, he didn't get what Jesus was commanding him that night, but now he got it because he truly had experienced the same love from the Savior. And now He's encouraging all believers, including you and I, to echo what the Master commanded us to do. And so church, live as though you have been forgiven and love in order to forgive and, and love and forgive others. And in that way, we will truly embody the love of Christ in this world. We will be a church that is unstoppable and the gates of hell will not prevail. 
Imagine what God could do in your life if you truly took Him at His word. So Lord, give us the faith to respond to Your truth. Help us to respond to Your promises, to Your word today. Make us holy as You are holy. In Jesus' name we pray.